Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of My Old Kentucky Podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith, uh, an overworked Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing great. Today on the show, we have Attica Scott, who is a state representative and also a candidate for United States Congress in the 3rd District, which is in Louisville. She came uh, today to talk to us about her campaign for Congress. Uh, it was you know, really great. You know, she she was the first guest we ever had on the show. When we first talked about having guests, she was the first person we targeted. She was very nice and, and came on and, and talked to us. I did, did the same thing today. We asked her some really key questions, I think, about, you know, why she's running, um, why she wants to be in the Congress, uh, what she hopes to accomplish when she gets there, what her theory of change is, all those kinds of things. Uh, I think if, if you live in Louisville, and even if you don't, uh, you'll find it useful as you're thinking about who to vote for on primary day. What did you think our, about our interview with Attica Scott, Jasmine? Yeah, I thought it went great. I always love to have her on the show. She's always been willing to talk to us, even though she's kind of a a star in the (laughs) Kentucky Democratic world. Um, And so it's always great to hear from her. And she's got a really important primary coming up. So um, it's cool to hear about how she's approaching um, this race for Congress. Absolutely. We do have lots of stuff to talk about before that, as the session kind of enters its final legislative days there are things happening fast and furious some of the top priorities of the republican um, legislature are making their way through the uh, you know through through the process there in frankfurt so we're going to talk about some education bills that have passed the house we're going to talk a little bit uh, about lots of other bills that's kind of going to come later um, but we all are also going to talk about jcps that has released an, a major change to the su- student assignment plan that's something we've been talking about quite a bit on the show over the years uh, and and they made some big steps so we're going to talk about that as well and there's going to be some quick hits today so without any further ado let's talk about these education bills all right, Jasmine. So, you know, you, you've been a bit out of pocket, uh, you know, as you're you're working to, to do a bunch of stuff at work, wrap, wrap up uh, your time at the, the Louisville Public Defender's Office. And, you know, this may come as a bit of a surprise to you. But uh, last week, we spoke about HB9, the bill to fund <laughs> charter schools. Well, okay. I, I did not do show prep today because of my workload right now. And so I don't know a lot of what's gone on, but I am at least aware of what's gone on with education bills. And it's been a whirlwind since we talked last week. A lot of stuff happened. I mean, I kind of am impressed because there was a lot to keep track of yesterday. It seems like things were going back and forth quite a bit. This is this is basically what happened uh, since last week. So we, we talked to Tina Bojanowski. We interviewed her on Tuesday. On Wednesday, that bill was on a committee you know, they were, the committee was going to hear it. Um, it wasn't the Education Committee. I think it might have been the Appropriations and Revenue Committee. I'm not totally sure which one it was assigned to. But, yeah, it was the House A&R Committee. Um, so that bill was supposed to be heard on Wednesday. But the, the House Republicans pulled the bill. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of fanfare. Not not that many teachers showed up. Uh, it, it seemed like the outcome in the bill was, was pretty fairly secure and, and that it wasn't going to work out. And, and Representative Bojanowski actually tweeted out a picture with herself in Frankfurt saying, you know, the bill is probably dead for this session. Um, yeah, it, literally the day we released the episode, it was like, we did it, yeah. everybody. Like, we didn't do it. She did it. But yeah. Yeah, we thought we thought it was dead for this year. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I honestly, you know, I don't know for sure, but it feels to me like maybe that that pissed off some of the Republicans. So the bill was taken from the A&R committee and moved to the Education Committee on Monday night. Richard White, 
a representative from Moorhead, a Republican, um, who, uh, you know, he's been absent much of this session with health issues. Um, he was, he's on the education committee. They actually pulled him off of the committee, reducing the number of votes they needed to earn a majority. And they managed to uh, actually get the bill to pass the committee on an 11 to 9 vote um, after pulling Richard White from the committee. So, that was after uh, you know just an hour of discussion uh, and move forward and and you know I think that a lot of people were like wow that was surprising um, I wonder what they're going to do in a couple days when they actually hear it on the floor but it actually moved to the floor later that day later on Tuesday um, and it actually it passed it snuck through with fifty one votes so just the barest majority they could possibly muster um, I know I mean. I, you know, just based on conversations I had, I think that that represents a significant number of flips that the House Republicans in the leadership and the, the charter advocates were able to, to push through. Um, and so this bill did uh, did make did make it through. So, yeah, you, you, that's probably what you paid attention to. I'm sure you didn't read the bill uh, <laughs> as it changed. Right. I didn't. I know that there was a committee sub mm-hmm. that changed some things, but I, I don't know, like, the the new content. Yeah, so there, there's a there's a couple of things that changed. I think some of the the, the groups that can approve charters might have changed slightly. But to me, um, I think the biggest change that was in the bill is that JCPS and Northern Kentucky University must approve a charter now under this bill. So they're like required to. Um, oh wow! Yeah, the way that the bill's written, that's all it says. So. Uh, you know, I don't know. Can they do like a bad job on purpose? Uh, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I, that's what I would do if I were them. I would just be like, "Yeah, we're gonna have uh, an outdoor charter school that's gonna meet uh, in the Ohio River. You gotta like row a boat out to the middle of the river. You gotta listen to your teachers as like the tugboats and uh, barges go by. Like that's what I would do. I don't know. So I. I mean, I don't know how it's gonna work. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that's supposed to operate where you're like forcing the hand of JCPS to do this. Now, the way that it's working for NKU is like NKU can say no, thank you. And then a group of advocates up in Northern Kentucky will be basically mandated to do that. Um, I do, Jasmine, think that there is a little bit more of an appetite for charter schools up in Northern Kentucky. If you'll remember, you know, when charter schools were first allowed to, to go through there was a charter school that tried to get started up in Northern Kentucky, but without any funding, they couldn't really get off the ground. So I think that it's likely that maybe that group will try again. I don't know what's going to happen in Louisville. The other thing I don't know what's going to happen is the legal, you know, the legal status of this bill. Um, it was written in such a way that basically Louisville was targeted specifically, JCPS was targeted specifically, and it moves tax dollars away from you know public coffers and towards like individual school districts and there's like a bunch of issues around the way in which uh you know schools are funded um that i do think that there is a pretty substantial you know legal challenge that this bill will have to to withstand i think it will pass i mean obviously it has to go through the senate but that's never been a big hurdle for for charter funding so yeah that's uh that's what happened with hb9 Okay, Senate Bill 1 is another bill that passed the House on Tuesday. Um, You know, it's headed to Andy Bashir's desk. It's a Senate bill that passed the House. It passed by a wider, more partisan margin of 67 votes. So most of the the Republican caucus voted for it. 
Originally, SB1 was a bill that shifted power from school boards to superintendents. It still does that, but also, in addition, uh, SB1 subsumed SB138. Jasmine, you talked about SB138 a few weeks ago. That's the bill that forces teachers to talk about several specific documents from American history, including um, this speech from Ronald Reagan um, that is kind of random. I don't know. That's just what I think. The bill also severely restricts the power of the JCPS school board specifically. It makes it so that the board cannot meet any more than once every four weeks. It was eight weeks, but there was a a slight change to it to make it so that they can meet only every four weeks and requires a two-thirds majority to overcome decisions of the superintendent. Right now, the board sets policy and the superintendent basically carries out the board's um, you know, directives. And this bill would make it basically just so that in Jefferson County, just inside of JCPS, the superintendent can basically override the school board. Uh, it doesn't appear that Marty Polio, who's the current superintendent in JCPS, asked for these changes. <laughs> I did see this. Yeah. Today. Yeah, this is kind of wild. Uh, he was quoted in the Courier Journal as saying, quote, I, I don't know if I can express enough my disappointment of what's happened in the General Assembly this session, and more specifically, the last couple of weeks, unquote. So Representative Jerry Miller, who has represented East Louisville for a very long time, was quoted by Joe Sanka, who was a reporter for the Courier Journal, about the bill saying, quote, JCPS has a board problem, and this bill takes care of that, unquote. Just as a reminder, the JCPS school board is an elected body that's elected by the people in Jefferson County to be their school board, and the superintendent is not. They are just hired by the board. So um, I guess Jerry Miller has a problem with the voters in Jefferson County more than anything. Jasmine, um, I mean, you've seen some, you've seen like romantic comedies from the 1980s, right? Are you familiar with with this genre of film? Yeah, like. John Hughes? Um, I think that there's like a trope that was pretty popular uh, back in that time of like the the rich girl that is like really into this like hot guy. And, and to me, it seems like, you know, the, the House Republicans are like the rich girl and Marty Polio is like the hot guy where they're like, the, she's like trying to like give this guy everything she that he wants, like buying him things and trying <laughs> to like shower him with all kinds of stuff. And he's just like, I'm really just not that into you. I really, I just not like that. Uh, and, and that's kind of like the house GOP is like, hey, Marty Polio, you can do whatever you want. You're like the best. We love you the most. And he's just like, uh, guys, I, this is not what I want. This is not how I want to do things. Um, you know. <laughs> that's kind of how I conceptualize SB1 um, and, and Marty Polio. So, yeah, we'll be talking more about him uh, later on in the show. Um, actually, next next subject. But I just kind of wanted to say that the, essentially the Kentucky legislature took the fate of urban school districts, especially Louisville School District, into its own hand uh, on, on, on Tuesday in major ways. And it never at any point listened to the stakeholders in the city at all. And in fact, really kind of overrode the desires of most of the people who are in elected leadership or just teachers or anybody involved in the school system in most ways. They listened to a very small group of people. They never named who those people were during the debate. They were like, who did you talk to? Who did you talk to? And they were just kind of like, oh, there's a group of advocates in the West End. And like, who are these people? And they never did name who they were. Um, so basically, you know this is the 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 legislature who represents the entire state trying to make big big changes in louisville because of basically just for ideology's sake not because anybody in particular really wants it so jasmine you picked a good week not to pay super super close attention because it was pretty depressing uh how, how how this went forward yeah i it's 
it's incredibly disappointing. It's heartbreaking what the legislature is doing to public education. And even though I didn't follow this closely this week, you know, I am friends with a lot of teachers, JCPS teachers specifically, that text me. I mean, they're all just feeling incredibly defeated. Um, And, like, they just... They just care about their students and like this isn't what (laughs) this isn't what's best for public school students. It's not what's best for public school students. I mean, and and obviously the the legislature wouldn't know that because it's not like they talk to any of them. And and it just is a really bad way to make laws. Like, I mean, even if you have an ideology, just listen to people. Just listen to the people that you're going to impact. At least take that into account on some level. And it just, they just didn't, you know. They they were on a crusade to get this done. Um, I mean, it's just this huge, like, drive to completely, like, privatize education and they're just like barreling through yeah and i mean it's just so clear what's going on too because they they didn't have the votes to get this done before all of a sudden the new bill comes out that's like specifically targeting louisville it's like this is not coming to your district so you can vote for it your your constituents don't have anything to do with it we're just imposing this in the urban area where the other party is is mostly concentrated so really really disappointing stuff for sure all right. Um, speaking of JCPS, moving on a little bit, uh, there was a huge, huge thing that happened in JCPS over the past week or so, which is that they released major changes to the student assignment plan. I, I mean, we've been tracking the student assignment plan for several years. You know, this, the issues around the school student assignment plan pop up all the time. Uh, and, and just as if you need a reminder, if you're not in, J- in Louisville, um, the student assignment plan is the way in which students get assigned to specific high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools in Jefferson County. Uh, and, and the way that Jefferson County has done it is has been both lauded and criticized for its impact on school desegregation. So uh, a reminder of the, the major contours of the conflict. So, so housing in Louisville is extremely segregated. And most of the black community in Louisville is located in the West End and in Newburgh, uh, which is kind of in South central east i I don't know where do you put newburgh in town like pretty centrally located it's kind of it's you know it's middle middle of the city i guess is a good way to put it so in order to integrate the schools that are really spread throughout the county um what happens is that black children are required to ride buses for sometimes hours a day um however you know white children are not really ever bused to the schools in the urban core uh, unless they are magnet schools. Uh, magnet schools also have their other uh, own set of issues, including like, you know, if they don't like a student, they just kind of exit them and, and you know, what what are they doing and, and how are they playing? Like, that, there's a lot of issues with magnet schools and we'll get into those as well. So JCPS came out with a new plan and the new plan has several prongs, some of which have been, you know, piloted in the past. First and foremost, I think the biggest change is that the assignment map has been revamped to assign children in the urban core to specific suburban schools but all children in the urban core are allowed to opt to attend shawnee high school which is located in louisville's west end so the assignment map would be uh you know significantly streamlined the the current map is the product of a lot of small changes and adjustments and if you kind of look it's just like these two blocks are at eastern these two blocks are at ballard these two blocks are at Doss, these two blocks are at atherton like that's kind of the way it works um with with downtown 
it's changed so that there's like large neighborhoods and that neighborhood would then go to Ballard or that neighborhood would go to Fairdale or that neighborhood would go to Southern. That That's kind of the way it works now instead of having, you know, it split just in these tiny little geographies. And any child in that area that wanted to go to Shawnee would have that option. Um, you know, it's kind of also a wholesale reimagining of feeder patterns, which is a big issue that goes beyond just desegregation. It's very confusing in Louisville. If you go to an elementary school, all of a sudden, all your friends might be going to a different middle school and you get stuck going to a different middle school because, you know, you live just a couple blocks away um, across the edge. And, and the way that they've reimagined these feeder schools is that basically all the students from an elementary school or a middle school then just go to one or two of the next step up. And you would not have these kind of splits where you have like all of a sudden 5% of one school goes to a random high school because of the way that the map breaks down. That's, I think, a big deal that really impacts a lot of, a lot of kids and, and kind of a strange situation that a lot of people, if you grew up going to JCPS, are familiar with. So the plan, which has not really been released in full, it does promise to change the funding structure to end schools that are in need, have more funding to address their issues. We haven't really got a lot of detail, but that is a need that I, you know, JCPS knows exists that they're going to work to to address. The plan also makes significant changes to magnets, including eliminating their ability to exit students. You know, uh, now you have to do something different. You'd have to keep them in. You have to actually deal with the problems that these children have instead of, you know, just being able to pawn them off on their neighborhood schools like they do now. Um, they also want to increase the diversity within the magnet programs in JCPS. And they also kind of want to focus the program programs by expanding some of the programs and also eliminating some that are, are, are you know, fewer kids actually take up. Um, there's a whole big section on magnets that I encourage you to, to check out. Um, I've linked the plan in the show notes. There are a lot of pieces to this proposal, and listening sessions and town halls have already really started. I think the Courier Journal hosted one yesterday out in the West End. While I don't think any piece of this plan really pleases every single person, and I don't think anybody is fully pleased with the plan, I, I do think it shows that JCPS is listening to the criticism it's come under in the past few years and really doing something to address it. Uh, kind of the opposite of uh, what the legislature is doing in Frankfurt, where they're listening to the people, listening to the criticism, and, and doing something about it, and then releasing a plan, and then listening more uh, to hear what uh, people think about it, and then I'm assuming making some changes. None of the none of the uh, actual policies are are slated to go into effect until 2023. Um, so you know, people in Louisville are going to have lots of opportunities to go and talk about this new plan as it as it comes forward. So Jasmine, um, you know, we've been talking about this issue for a really long time after hearing all of that um you know what do you think do you think that this is a step in the right direction or do you think um they should have done more or less or, or what do you think it's hard for me to say as someone who doesn't have children or live in the west end <laughs> right. um and so just on paper it it sounds like it may be a step in the right direction it it sounds like at least having like these neighborhood clusters would maybe reduce the time being on the bus and, and things like that. So it, it definitely sounds like they are making the right steps, but I, I also don't know if like the option to attend Shawnee, does that result in just most people in the West end attending Shawnee, you know? So I don't know what it's going to look like in practice. 
I don't think any student assignment plan is going to be perfect. Um, this one at least sounds like it might be okay on paper, yeah. <laughs> but I would definitely before like really forming an opinion on it would want to listen to people who actually live in the West End, have children who go to JCPS schools. And, and I'm, I'm not that person. <laughs> yeah, no, that's certainly true. Um, and, and I mean, the, the plan also has just been released. And uh, I also kind of feel the impacts on desegregation and, and whether our goals around desegregation need to change a little bit too. Um, you know, I, I do think people are frustrated with the idea that like desegregation is happening on the backs of black children. Um, and, and this kind of allows people to kind of opt out of that system. Um, but the resulting system may mean a more segregated school system. I mean, I think it inevitably does. Yeah. Um, and, and something that like comes to mind for me from doing like truancy cases is that a, a lot of children have issues um, making it to school due to transportation or because of being on the bus for hours, they have to get on so early and they miss it. And so then they miss the whole day because they don't have other transportation to school. And so I worry that with those issues, JCPS's like truancy response would just be like, well, go to Shawnee. We'll yeah. send them back to Shawnee and, and things like that. So there is, that's a worry that I have just with what I've seen with my experience yeah that's a really thorny issue too because i mean that's not something that has an easy solution um yeah absolutely Ugh. well uh you know i'm glad i don't have that job uh but yeah marty polio put all this together um his office put it together um I, you know in con consultation with a ton of people um we will see how this plan evolves over time uh as of right now it it has to be approved by the school board we'll see if that is the case uh by yeah. the time it's ready to to actually go actually go into effect all right jasmine tell us about the rest of the legislative update all right, so the House passed HB 606. This is one of Representative Adam Koenig's gambling bills that I talked about a couple weeks ago. This, this was the bill which allows online sports gambling and allows some physical locations. It's on its way to the Senate where um, it does face some doubt, specifically from Senate President Robert Stivers. He said the bill creates no energy <laughs> with him. <laughs> Which I thought was a funny way to say that. <laughs> Damon Thayer, um, who's a member, a member of Republican leadership, um, is a supporter of legalized gambling or of sports betting, at least. Um, his statement, I am a firm supporter of sports betting and hope enough of my fellow members join me in supporting the measure so that we can join most of America in allowing it to occur. I don't know if that if there's a lot of confidence. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem like I to me when I read uh Damon Thayer's statement it sounded more like he was trying to recruit people to his cause, not that yeah. he was confident that this was going to make its way through the Senate. Uh, that's been the hurdle. Um I don't know how we create energy in Robert Stivers. I mean, if we knew that, we'd probably be much yeah. be in much better shape just in general. That's what I'm going to start saying when I don't care for something yeah just attach it, it to no an, energy with me attach it to an abortion bill and then i'm sure they'll be thrilled with it oh well hb3 the abortion omnibus bill um it passed its senate committee today and so that will probably head to the floor very soon it may have happened now that we're recording figured should... i'd bring that one up since you brought up abortion 
one of Adam Koenig's other gambling bills, House Bill 608, that's the one that would ban gray machines, which are, uh, that one passed the house. Gray machines are skill games, which are supposedly not based in luck, um, but they look a lot like slot machines. They've been popping up all across Kentucky in gas stations and restaurants and similar places. Um, and a lot of the rationale for this bill was to move a lot of this money back towards the lottery. The coalition of yes votes that passed the bill was very strange, though. Um, though, and the Senate still needs to pick up this legislation, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, this was a strange one. We talked about gray machines when you did your your gambling segment um, a couple weeks ago, and I was very confused about what they were. Gray machines, I guess, are like supposed to have some level of skill. I don't know if they actually do or not, and they're called gray because they, you know, obviously operate in like a gray area of the law. Um, yeah, uh, I think they want to get people playing Keno <laughs> and not this machine. So that was, that was why a lot of people voted yes. House Bill 136, which is the bill that would legalize some forms of medical marijuana, passed the House with 59 votes. Um, the bill has been criticized by some for being narrow in its vision, but the chief sponsor, Jason Nemus, said that that's a feature, not a bug of the legislation. Likely, this narrow scope was necessary in order to earn the favor of Whitney Westerfield in the Senate, I believe. Um, originally, the bill's list of approved conditions did not include PTSD, but Rachel Roberts, who has authored uh, much more progressive marijuana legislation, who, you know, we've talked to her on the podcast about her Democratic bills. Um, she managed to get that diagnosis added in as a floor amendment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Yeah, good for her. Uh, you know, it was kind of wild. I guess probably they just said, well, we'll see what happens and we'll let you present the floor amendment. And, and she was actually able to get it added. Uh, so that was... That was good. That was impressive of her to be able to actually get that done. Um, I wonder, I don't know if that's going to cause the Senate not to take it up. I mean, the Senate can obviously like pull that back out and send it to the House. Um, but yeah, they, they don't have that much time left. We'll see if they actually mm -hmm. take up this bill in the next couple weeks. Yeah, I know it's gotten a lot of criticism for how narrow it is, but I'm in favor of doing what we need to do to get it across the finish line and have some form of mar medical marijuana and then ex expand it later. Hopefully Ad advance the ball. That's a, yeah. a sports term. Yeah. Yeah. Senate bill 83 is a bill to ban transgender girls from competing in girls sports that passed the full legislature on Thursday. The house passed it with 70 votes. The opposition to this bill seems to have honed in on opposition from the business community. Lisa Wilner said that she had received a letter from 150 business representatives opposing the discrimination of trans people. The major Republican opposition came from Representative Killian Timoney, who said he didn't like the idea of spending money on the inevitable lawsuits that would come out of this law. Yeah, the you know the representative Timoney's been really good on these issues uh, in the in the legislature this year, especially on like LGBTQ issues. Um, I think his his wife is a teacher. Uh, I think that that's that's his deal. Um, yeah, this has been really disappointing. I, there's been some like national press about like somebody in 
like the swimming championship. I don't, I haven't really been following that very much, but a yeah. lot of, a lot, that's been brought up quite a bit um, as a, a rationale for this, which just seems ridiculous to me, I, you know, especially after the really heartfelt testimony um, that the student um, in, in, from Westport Middle in, in Louisville had to say um, about who this bill really targets. Um, you know, right. I, and it's just, it's just really disappointing. I, I even read like an, an op-ed in, in the Bowling Green newspaper about this that was just really just kind of missed the point I, I felt like and, and really just I, I don't want to say it was like spreading misinformation but just kind of like I don't know just didn't feel like it really understood the gravity of this issue um I, I think that there's a lot of I mean I don't know education or something but just people don't seem to it doesn't seem to resonate with people what bills like this do to people who are trans um and that's that's just really really disappointing so House Bill 4 is a bill which greatly changes Kentucky's unemployment system to make it significantly less generous. Um, We've talked about this one at length on previous shows. And then SJR 150 is a bill that ends the state of emergency in Kentucky, removing about $50 million in monthly food aid to the state. Governor Bashir vetoed both of these bills and released a powerful video about Kentucky's values and and how these bills don't fit with his vision for Kentucky. Um, But the legislature overrode his vetoes without much effort at all. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, hey, guys, uh, this is going to cost us $50 million in food aid. And uh, the Senate was just like, well, we don't care. Bye. Uh, Yeah. and, And I saw that that, you know, even like. Is his name Donald Douglas, the senator from E-Town, uh, even like tweeted a picture of himself giving the bill to the secretary of state. Like they're proud of it. Like it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's just really, it's really sad. That's not my vision of uh, how best to do government, but I guess it is for some of the Republicans. Yeah, uh, yeah we did HB3. So yeah, that's <laughs> the legislative update. Not a lot of bright spots. Um, there were a few things that did happen. I think that there was like a anti-slap law that that made some progress and and, you know the the crown act is making its way through the legislature it might actually pass this time we'll we'll actually see um but yeah uh, a lot of the bigger ticket items and the stuff that people have really been tracking um not not great uh i guess the gambling and the marijuana stuff um are stuff that you know are, are less than terrible um but you know uh definitely some room for improvement like you mentioned uh on the marijuana thing um, all right, let me do the quick hits, and then we will get out of here. Okay, before my old Kentucky podcast even began, Jasmine, it seems like <laughs> it seems like there was no time before Kentucky, my old Kentucky podcast, but there Many was. Many years ago. Yes, uh, but a major Kentucky-related story at, before our podca- podcast started was Kim Davis, then the Rowan County clerk who denied marriage licenses to gay couples in defiance of a Burgerfell versus Hodges, which is the Supreme Court decision that legalized gay marriage. She spent five days in jail and eventually lost her re-election. Now we're seven years later. And Judge David Bunning in the Eastern District of Kentucky has ruled that Kim Davis violated those people's civil rights. Of course, this fight isn't over. Kim Davis and her team are going to appeal, but this does probably open her up to some civil litigation um, from these people, um, which we'll see. We'll see if that happens. Um, It's kind of crazy. Seven years down the line, and we are still talking about Kim Davis, but we are. So um, as somebody who interacts with the federal courts every once in a while, um, or maybe not. Do you ever interact with the federal courts? Not really. Okay. Well, are you surprised that this has taken so long? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay. All right. So we we spent a significant um, we did a significant segment a few months ago about deaths that occurred in Louisville's jail. Um, since then, more people have died. Uh, seven inmates have died in Louisville's custody in, in the past few months, which is just a tragedy uh, and, and a scandal. Um, and, and in wake of this scandal, Dwayne Clark, who's the director of the jail, decided to retire, and a replacement has been named. Um, I don't have his name written down, but he was the, um, I think he was working for the Clark County, Indiana jail, which is right across the river here from Louisville uh, in southern Indiana. Um, so something happening there. And then lastly, and this is a real tragedy, Sarah Beth Hartledge, who is a member of Louisville's public health department, died suddenly last week. Um, she had been one of the main faces of Louisville's COVID-19 response, um, especially with re- respect to vaccinations. Um, she was one of the major leaders who worked on Luvax, which was the city's uh, site at the fairgrounds that vaccinated, you know, tens of thousands of people in early 2021. Um, you know, uh, the pandemic was really hard, but this was, I think, a really big bright spot. It was something that we could all point to that was doing something really good for a lot of people. Um, she was a big part of that. She was a big part of the, the COVID-19 response. Uh, she was a face that people recognized if we paid attention to COVID. Uh, I, and just, you know, she wasn't old. She was like my age. She's like in her mid-30s. Uh, don't know what happened. Real, real, really sad, though. Um, and, you know, somebody who did a lot of good work for Louisville. Um, so very, very sad stuff there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've reached the end of the show. Let's get to our interview with Attica Scott. Representative Attica Scott is a Democratic candidate for U.S. Congress in the 3rd District, which encompasses most of Metro Louisville. She also currently represents District 41 in the Kentucky House, a district which stretches from Chickasaw Park in the West End to St. Matthews in the East End. In the past, she served as a Louisville Metro Council member, and she's been a candidate for the JCPS School Board. Uh, she's been on our show a bunch of times, but Attica Scott, welcome back to my old Kentucky podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we're very excited to have you, especially uh, now that you're you're jumping into the congressional race and have been running in this race for, for several months now. So, you know, I guess we want to start with that. You, you started running for Congress before John Yarmouth even announced his retirement, and you've been really clear through the years that being a part of the United States Congress has been a goal of yours. So, I mean... Tell us why. Why do you want to be in the Congress? I mean, to me, it seems like kind of a tough job, but uh, I mean, it's clearly something you want to do. Well, I'm made for tough jobs, right? Nothing I've ever done has been easy. And, uh, you know, serving as a state representative is a clear example of that. Serving as a a Louisville Metro Council member who got some really big bills passed as the primary sponsor. It wasn't easy, but we were able to do it because we put in the work and I'm ready to continue that work in D.C. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and you know, you've you've done a hard job for a long time, so I guess you would be really well equipped for it. Um, I think about you a lot, actually, uh, in terms of just the, the way that the, the, the House works these days, because the whole time you were running for the House in, in the, the first time, you know, the, the Democrats were actually in a majority. And it wasn't until you were actually first elected um, that, that Republicans ended up taking over the chamber for the first time in 100 years. But as a result, you're kind of, you're, you know, your whole time in the House has been a member of like that super minority caucus. But, you know, if you make it to the United States Congress, Democrats currently have the majority. Maybe that will happen next time. Uh, maybe not. But I mean, if you're there for a while, it's likely that it'll uh, switch back and forth a few times. That tends to happen in, in D.C. more often than it does in Frankfurt. Um, how do you think your approach to legislating would be different as a member of a majority caucus versus, you know, the super minority that you're in now? 
Well, the thing for me is I have the experience of both having served on Louisville Metro Council, where we were in the majority as Democrats. And I never took that for granted. One of the things I will always remember a Republican colleague saying to me, and he was an older gentleman uh, when I served on Metro Council, was chair of the Vacant and Abandoned Properties Committee, is he said, "You, I love the way you chair meetings because you make sure everyone's voice is heard. And that's so important to me, whether you're in the majority or not, when you treat people with deep respect, they remember that and they're willing to work with you. And that's why we were able to work together uh, on Metro Council to get unanimous legislation passed like ban the box, as well as a resolution to restore voting rights. That happens when you respect people and they know you respect them. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that vacant and abandoned properties work was also really important, really hard work. I mean, so it's a really tough issues. And I mean, that just goes back to what you were saying at the beginning. Uh, you're made for tough jobs. So so most of the discussions about this race for Congress in Louisville position you, I think, is the more progressive candidate. So first of all, do you think that that's like a fair characterization of your position? And, and then if so, uh, do you think Louisville would be better served with a more congre- or progressive congressperson? It's definitely a fair description. And I will tell you, I've been described all kinds of ways and that's absolutely fine. Um, but it's it's a, a fair description of who I am because it's accurate. I believe in uh, moving us forward. Uh, I'm not interested in staying where we are and staying stuck. I'm also very interested in being intentional to make sure that the voices of people who have been historically excluded and left out and left behind are amplified or elevated or lifted up. And that to me is what a progressive is supposed to do. You're not supposed to be comfortable when other people are still being left out and left behind. Absolutely. Uh, and that does actually kind of lead to my next question, which is, which is uh, you know, I, to me, to me, one of the, the, the ways that I'm thinking about this race uh, is in the way that, that you and, and your primary opponent think of your, your theories of change. Uh, and to me, I see it this way. You know, your opponent has built a relationship with some of the Republicans in the leadership there in Frankfurt that allows him to pass some of his smaller priorities to the legislature. You know, while you have strongly advocated for your progressive positions pretty unflinchingly um, to the point where it wasn't even until this year that something as you know non-controversial as the Crown Act uh, got a hearing and, and managed to pass a, a committee. So first of all, again, do you think that that's a fair characterization of the race? And for the people who might be more skeptical of somebody with your kind of unflinching thoughts about you know, how, to, how to interact in the legislature, um, how do you think that approaching legislation in this way builds to, to change in the end? Certainly. And I will say there are people who um, have some reservations about a more moderate or conservative Democrat being in the seat. And what I will say for my uh, position, for people who may be saying, oh, do we, uh, how do we feel about someone who's going to be so driven and um, so very committed and passionate about these big issues? I'll say to you, that's exactly who you want, right? Like, you know, justice doesn't roll in Uh, unless we make it roll in, right? It doesn't happen out of benevolence. It happens because people fight for it. So if we want um, these issues that impact people of color, Black folks, Latinx folks to be addressed, it's going to take us having to speak up and speak out about it. Because when I look at uh, the, the legislature before I got there, a lot of issues I'm talking about, no one was discussing. So we were in, left out, right? Until I got there and started raising issues. Now, all of a sudden, you got the chair of health and family services talking about uh, maternal health care and disparities in maternal health. That wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been pushing. So Louisville has never elected a black person to Congress, and it's never elected a Democratic woman to Congress either. And so you know, what would it mean to you to become Louisville's first black woman to be elected to this position? And 
you know, what do you think it would say about Louisville if we were to elect someone like you to this position? It will say that folks want someone who's going to stand up and be loud about abortion access. We deserve to have the right to reproductive justice and health care. It means you're going to elect someone who is going to stand up and be very clear that we have to address environmental racism and environmental justice, that when climate disasters happen in Western Kentucky, people in Western Kentucky need to know they have someone who's in D.C. fighting for them, too. When we have issues like uh, ballot access and ballot justice that disproportionately across this country impact Black folks and Latinx folks and other people of color, folks in Louisville in the 3rd Congressional District need to know that they're going to have someone in D.C. who knows what that means to not have access to the ballot because that happened to people in my family and who's going to fight like everything to make sure um, that people have that access and that it's maintained um, and that we also strengthen it. So for people who um, are, are wondering and thinking about what would it mean? What can we envision what it looks like to have a democratic woman serving, um, to have a black woman serving? I want them to envision justice because that's what I'm going to be fighting for. Um, to elect a black woman from Louisville to Congress would be an incredible thing. And when you were first elected in 2016, you were actually the only black woman serving in the state legislature. And since then, two more black women from Louisville have joined you and Pamela Stevenson and Katora Heron. So, you know, looking back on your time there, do you think that the increased number of black women indicates a change, at least in Louisville? Definitely. I mean, it's one of those situations where when I was elected, I made it clear to people, one is not enough. Like, it's okay to celebrate in the moment, but y'all, this is not long-term victory, right? Like, it, it, you can't look back and say, oh, we went 20 years without a Black woman serving, but now we've got one, we made it. No, that's mm -hmm. not making it. That's not a representative democracy. And so we have three Black women. We have an Indian immigrant woman. We've never had that before, ever. And so, you know, now we have an actual real women of color caucus. Um, and so I know what it was like to be there for four years with, without anyone, right? With it just being me trying to fight these fights. Um, and, and now we have reinforcements. That's important. Yeah, we watched it. It looked really, really hard. So I am glad that you got some reinforcements uh, and, and really glad that you guys uh, have, have a real caucus now. So, you know, if you make it up there, the, the, the caucuses would be much larger uh, as, you know, there's 435 people in the House of Representatives. But, you know, when we think about the things that, that the U.S. House has actually worked on in the past year or so, you know, last year, um, the United States House of Representatives worked on, uh, you know, the, the very large pandemic relief bill and a large infrastructure bill. And, and and, you know, the House also worked hard on that Build Back Better plan, um, which was shelved and, you know, and, you know, after two cons uh, conservative Democratic senators failed to support it. So I'm interested just in your thoughts on the legislation that it's that's worked its way through the House and in, in the past years. Um, what have you thought uh, about it and, and you know, and, and the things that the Biden administration has pushed forward? And, and how would you have interacted or, or tried to interact with that legislation as it made its way through uh, Congress? I appreciate that question on on a number of levels that I don't even know y'all could ever imagine. But to know that the Crown Act passed the House, like that was huge for so many people across this country. And for me, as someone who's been working on it for years, I looked at D.C. and I said to myself, they've been working on it for years. Right. There was erasure in D.C. Um, but people were able to finally get folks to see our humanity and see us in, in everything that we are and say, yeah, it's time to pass something so innocuous as a bill to protect somebody 
from discrimination based on their hair. So I just had to start with that because that's the most recent victory that also aligns with the work that I've been trying to do here in Kentucky. But I I will also say that as it relates to Build Back Better, um, as it relates to any of the other measures, um, infrastructure uh, legislation that the Biden administration has been working on, I know that the folks who were part of the Progressive Caucus were pushing for more, right? They were making, wanting to fight for our, our entire country to make sure that we included climate justice in, in the package, right? That was vitally important for so many of our communities across the country. And as somebody who lives, works, and worships and raised my kids in the West End of Louisville, I certainly would have been standing right there with them to say, yes, we have to make sure that whatever we do, climate justice is um, and climate action is part of this package. So, you know, I would have been right there with them. Before we let you go, if people want to get more involved in your campaign, we're, we're getting pretty close to the primary here. Um, how can people get more involved? Thank you so much for that question. Folks can definitely check out our website, atticaforcongress.com, A-T-T-I-C-A-F-O-R, congress.com. We've got our issues there. If you want to know where I stand on on positions, you can sign up to volunteer, sign up to get a yard sign. Um, You can also follow us on social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, um, at atticafor-ky, A-T-T-I-C-A-F-O-R-K-Y. You do have a great TikTok. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm stumbling through it. I'm going to be honest. It, it's not my, my expertise. <laughs> All right. Well, well Representative Attica Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my old KY pod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our show on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a newsletter that comes out on Friday mornings. You can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. We also have a Patreon page where you can support what we are doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And last but not least, we are part of the Demcast network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening and we will see you next week. <laughs>